Incoming transmission from the time scanner. Something used to go here. Something used to go within this block of time. Antecedent events took place, and then there were repercussions that were supposed to take place right now, which ought to have caused other events to come after this. But right now, nothing is happening. You have reached a blank hour, a bubble in the fluid of time completely devoid of happenings. Sometimes this happens when something's been tampered with. Check your history books, and I'm certain there's a catastrophic chapter that was not there an hour ago. And it's resulted in this, this complete absence and absolute peace. You are currently residing in a moment that never was and will not be much longer. Meantime, just relax. Enjoy this impossible moment. Kick your feet up for a while, just as long as you do it in an uneventful fashion. And whatever you do, don't force a thing to happen within the nothing time. Picture how still the entire globe must be in this moment. How much history deserves this brief pause. Like a heart so grateful to arrest, if only for a minute. Hold hands with complete emptiness and skip a beat or two with the Post Culture Podcast. from Family Monopoly Night. 6.30 p.m. We begin. Dad is the banker as usual, and as usual will abuse his authority with more impunity as the night wears on and the booze stops working. Mom has selected the thimble, the most righteous and humble of pieces. Uncle Stan has selected the noose piece from our clue set which he will hang over our pieces as he passes them in order to play on our fears. My piece is whatever the shoe stepped on. 6.35 p.m. Grandma has made her first anti-Semitic remark of the evening while we were rolling for play order. Dad dribbled Tom Collins down his chin and wiped it up with a community chest card, which he then shuffled back into the deck. Cousin Seth goes first and buys Baltic Avenue in his first roll. Uncle Stan looks him right in the eye and says it would be his last. Seth is nine. Stan has a glass eye. 
I ask Aunt Val to run me over with her car. She lets me know that her piece is actually the dog. I know, I tell her. 6.42 p.m. Grandma keeps calling Baltimore Avenue the colored part of town. One of Aunt Val's Jaeger shots left a water ring on the free parking space. I keep trying to land on railroads in hopes that maybe if I own a train, it would be easier to get run over by one. Uncle Stan says the community chest is socialism and anyone who accepts a card from it is a moocher sucking on the teat of the working man. 6.46 p.m. A get-out-of-jail-free card will not let you escape the tragedy of existence. 6.57 p.m. Dad is rubbing the hundreds we receive for passing go on his balls before handing them to us. Mom tried to buy Madison Avenue with a Bible passage. Grandma accused me of Jewing her on the rent for Illinois Avenue. Cousin Mimi is already broke after just buying Kentucky Avenue because she's five and doesn't understand how buying stuff works. And we all told her that the more she pays, the better she would own it. 7.18 p.m. I tried to leap from the roof of one of my hotels, but I'm told that this is not possible. Seth tried to move an extra space to avoid landing on Park Place, and Stan threatened him with a hunting knife. Cousin Mimi says the person who plays the battleship should always win because it could kill the other players. I hand her a claw hammer and ask her to get started. 7.25 p.m. Dad says the house rules require anyone who lands on free parking to show the banker their tits. Starting to suspect Dad is on ecstasy. His pants are crammed full of $1 bills, but I don't think it's because he's stealing them. I keep pressing the iron against my skin in hopes of feeling something. We will die playing this game. 7.32 p.m. Aunt Val got a card that said she won $10 in a beauty contest, and Dad started flinging $20 bills at her and laughing until we locked him in the bathroom. Mom somehow bought a church for one of her properties. Grandma added a bunch of whites-only signs to hers. I press a fork against the electric works, but nothing happens. 7.40 p.m. It has become clear that Stan has a loaded gun. No one wants to charge him rent because he just stares at them until they back down. Uh, this tactic crumbled, however, when he landed on my Cincinnati Avenue spot and I just looked him dead in the eye and told him to get it over with. The cowardice behind his facade revealed itself, and everyone started to charge him double rent without any questions asked. 7.45 p.m. We ask Dad what happened to the extra hotel pieces, but he just giggles and shifts uncomfortably in his seat. Aunt Val is actively using a shot glass as a playing piece now. Mom is going broke as she waves rent if you promise to accept Jesus into your heart. 8.01 p.m. For me, the game is over. After trying to suck the tailpipe of the car piece, I've been tied to a chair and sedated. My piece has been removed permanently to the jail space, 
and the filthy lucre I accrued in this disgusting display has been split among the remaining players. This stretches out the game interminably longer. I watch as the entropy of play grinds them down again, slowly, slowly, yet the end seems so far. We are doomed. Last night when I went home Drunk as I could be There's another mule in the stable Where my mule ought to be Tell me, honey Explain yourself to me how come another mule in the stable where my mule ought to be? Or crazy or silly. Late at night sometimes when my kids will wake up with a nightmare or something, they'll be yelling and I'll go in the room to comfort them. I'll pick them up and I'll pat them on the back and tell them everything's going to be all right until they go back to sleep and I lay them back down. Sometimes it takes a while to do this, though, get them comforted, get them back and restful. And I'll be patting them for a while, my arm will get tired and I'll get worn out. So I start counting. You know, I'll count down from a hundred. And, you know, sometimes I gotta do it a few times before the kid's asleep. And it's just something that I do to help keep me going, you know, two and three in the morning, whatever time it is that uh, they're awake. And uh, so tired, though, so early that sometimes I'll start making mistakes. You know, I'll, I'll say uh, six to seven and then drop down to 65. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll say 58 twice, or, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, like, skip from 27 down to 23, or something like that. It's usually around that time I realize I don't even have any kids. In my dreams, I see a place called Dog Barn, and it is always on fire. Don't feel bad for the dogs that perished in the blaze, because in its time, Dog Barn was a utopia. The dogs in the barn, in Dog Barn, ruled themselves justly and wisely. Their constitution was used as a template by the Third World. Dog Barn had ugliness, true. Dachshunds were still made fun of for being tubes. Golden Retrievers insisted they were the purest breed of dog. But Dog Barn, all 87 stories of barn, was a special place. Until a pug tried to use a toaster. America held a day of mourning for Dog Barn. President Reagan looked confused at the children weeping on the White House lawn. They cleared the ashes. There were plans for a memorial. But memory faded. 
they erected a strip mall where Dog Barn once stood. They say that as you buy oxies outside of Rod's Milk, you can sometimes hear the wails of Dog Barn dogs who realize their fur was burning. Dog Barn may never have been real, but it will never be forgotten. I remember Dog Barn. Come on down to Stella's house of Pancake's house, where our kitchen is no longer infested with feral cats. Come try a tasty morsel from our 20-foot sausage barge, legally declared a war crime by the International Court at the Hague. Children ain't free, so come on, fatten them up. Get some meat on those bones, no reason, just do it. Down at Stella's house of Pancake's house, your waitress will take your order on what looks like human skin. Try our delicious house browns, or the eternal nightmare of ham platter. Become one with our bacon. Have a crucified living animal of your choice brought to your table by a screaming child. Are ancient alien astronauts responsible for the waffle pyramid? Find out at Stella's House of Pancakes House. At Stella's, our omelets scream when you cut them open. That's how much we care about quality food. Give us your fat children. Having a birthday? We'll kill somebody for you, really. Really we will. Who do you want to die? Maybe try a plate of our horse eggs or read our informational pamphlet about alien abduction and the true meaning of sacrifice. Is it possible to drown yourself in the bottomless cup of coffee? Find out at Stella's House of Pancakes House. 20% off if you give us a child. Come on, feed us your babies. Stella's, where the heart is. The first freeway exit leads to an abandoned road, which goes to an abandoned town, where there is an abandoned church. In the church, a funeral is being held. The funeral is for you. The second freeway exit leads to a diner that serves great burgers. It burned down years ago, but they still serve them, if you're patient. The third freeway exit leads to a travel center with a Quiznos, past which is a sign that says, Hope you didn't eat at that haunted Quiznos. The fourth freeway exit leads to a cow. It just stares at you, not moving. All is normal. Until you realize cows shouldn't have fangs. The fifth freeway exit leads to the woods where people go to commit suicide. All the lanes become exit only as the road shows its malice. The sixth freeway exit leads to a rest area that is an idyllic riverside paradise, 
Lost travelers have encamped there and fear outsiders. The seventh freeway exit leads to heaven. No services. The eighth freeway exit leads to multiple food options and gas stations. Also giant snakes, but there's no sign for that. The ninth freeway exit leads to nowhere. Logically, it also comes from nowhere. You understand you are no one, just as you fade to nothing. The tenth freeway exit is the one you need. It just puts you back on the freeway. You are relieved, at least, to know where you are going. Audio tour to the falling cedar Chinese garden. This garden is a window into the world of 16th century China. Based on classic Chinese design elements, it is the kind of garden a scholar would have found comfort in, a small slice of tranquility in a busy urban environment. As you walk through the garden, this guide will describe the various elements you see around you and their importance within traditional Chinese culture. Area 1. As you enter the courtyard, notice the ornately carved dragonfish above the entryway. These are called Qiwen, and tradition has it that they swallow all evil influences entering the courtyard. The classical Chinese scholar would have found this explanation completely ridiculous. In truth, he had the Qiwen carved there to make the entryway look a little more badass, because he believes dragonfish are totally fucking metal. Area 2. The centerpiece of the garden is the large koi pond. The pool serves multiple purposes. Closeness to water is naturally calming, while watching fish move through the pond is a poignant metaphor for life, and would have inspired an ancient Chinese poet to thoughts of our place in nature. The classical scholar would also have pointed out that koi are pretty decent fried in beer batter, and the pond is a good spot for a kegger, especially if you get a few of those classy Japanese geishas to party with you. He heard those geishas be mad bitches. Area 3 In the middle of the pond, accessible by a series of stone steps, is a small island with a covered terrace. On a foggy day, this resembles a painted ship moving through calm seas. The ancient poet would enjoy meditating in this spot, an island of calm within the island of the garden. It is also where the ancient poet would listen to his Smith's records. He would contemplate the meaning of being a Smith's fan, and on living a life of which his idol, Morrissey, would approve. The classical scholar thinks the Smiths are a bunch of pussies, and he has no respect for the modal guitar stylings of Johnny Marr. The classical scholar's favorite brand is Kreensreich, although he is also partial to Rush. Area 4. This is the classical scholar's study. Studies are places of intellectual refuge where one writes poetry, plays board games, practices calligraphy, and pursues artistic interests. 
the classical scholar would keep his copy of The Fountainhead here, which he claims had a major influence on his life. His roommate, the ancient poet, believes Ayn Rand promotes the philosophy of self-entitled dickheads, but the classical scholar does not take his criticism seriously, because the ancient poet is a whiny fagtard. The study is also a place where the classical scholar hopes to one day entertain some Japanese geishas. He believes the ornately carved cedar furniture and the sound of bamboo wind chimes outside the windows creates just the sort of environment to get them all steamy. Area 5 The largest building in the garden is the Terrace of Universal Reflection, which contains both the poet's loft and the tea room. The poet does not like living above the tea room because the classical scholar leaves uneaten spring rolls laying around, stinking up the whole building. The classical scholar counters that the poet's overconsumption of tofu gives his flatulence the same aroma as the back end of a musk ox. The poet responds by pointing out that a diet of fried koi fish has probably left the scholar's digestive system looking like the blocked chi of a dissatisfied government bureaucrat. The scholar's final response is to urinate on the poet's vinyl copy of Meat is Murder, resulting in the poet's search for an abode less tranquil. When I was sleeping, I dreamt a pleasant dream. Dream I was throwing all down the golden stream. Woke a broken hearted and Hawkins County jail. All my friends turned round the wonderful mobile. Assorted Thoughts Every time you tell someone to check their privilege, a tally of the number of homeless people you've ignored in your life is briefly visible. National surveys conclude that I am who and how did you get in here and please let me go, I beg you. The greatest film of all time is a VHS of a Pilates workout sitting unloved and unwatched in the bargain bin of a Goodwill. My resume just coughed up blood. I want to live with bats under a bridge. Those fuckers got it made. Donut flavors, circa 2097. Screaming sprinkles, loaded gun, offal flavored, trial by maple, bacon and failure, irony resistant Bismarck. A living nightmare about a nightmare about living a nightmare. Mason jars full of carefully preserved failures. Lead certified bottomless pit of depravity. Gluten free crossbow. Management tip make them all burn. An employment evaluation that just says has a dick that looks like it's made of nightmares and bad cheese. Life makes a little more sense when you realize no one is normal just that some people's neuroses are better adapted to the current paradigm. I'm pretty sure I could beat Sasquatch at Scrabble. Just saying. We all know about the thing you lied about. It's just funny to keep watching you tell the lie like anyone is fooled.
Thank you for listening to the second episode of the Post Culture Podcast, entitled Eating God. The introduction for this episode was written and performed by Time Scanner, whose human name used to be Richard R. Penner. You may follow him on Twitter at Time Scanner. Dog Barn was written by Dr. John Veritas. You may follow him at Dr. Veritas, also at Twitter. The music for the Dog Barn sequence was performed by Snow Metal. You may follow them at soundcloud.com slash snowmetal. Stella's House of Pancakes House was performed by my lovely wife. Our theme music was composed by The Fourth Shift. You may follow them at soundcloud.com slash fourth shift. And you may also like them at facebook.com slash fourth shift. Our closing theme was performed by The Average Joel. You may follow him at soundcloud.com slash averagejoel dash one. And that is the numeral one. Other music used in this episode included Coley Jones' Drunkard Special, The Butcher's Boy by Buell Cassie, Praise God I'm Satisfied by Blind Willie Johnson, and a selection from the Alan Lomax collection. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as you enjoyed the previous episode, unless you didn't enjoy the previous episode, in which case I hope you enjoyed this episode more. We wish you a good night. We wish you good luck. We wish you sleep. We wish you dreams. We wish you awakening.